0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. It's always a privilege to be gathered to read and open up God's Word because it's a privilege that we don't take lightly because not everyone gets to do this. Now, I want you to imagine if you are an emperor, a commander, or a leader, and you have a life. Changing secret that you want to tell your people who are in the enemy's ground. What will you do? Let me say it again. If you're an emperor or a leader and you want to have a life-saving message to your people who are living in enemy's ground, what will you do? Well, according to the Chinese legend, the Chinese have done this before through mooncakes. They slid their message to re- rebel against the, Mong- the Mongols in their mooncake. The legend goes that there's this man called Liu Bowen, right? Uh, he was a confidant of the rebel leader called Zhu Yuanzhang. Okay, so he suggested that rebellion should be timed to coincide with the Mid-Autumn Festival. So Zhu went to um, apply and got permission to distribute mooncakes to Chinese residents in the Mongol capital as a way. Uh, of blessing the longevity of the Mongol uh, emperor. But when he distributed, inside each mooncake, there was this message that says, kill the Mongols on the 15th day of 8 months. And the plan succeeded because the Mongols don't eat mooncakes. And, Zhu founded the Ming dynasty in 1368 AD. Now, i want to ask, if Jesus... Has a life changing secret to declare. How will he do it? And today's passage tells us that he will do it through parables. But why? Why parables? So let's come to Matthew 13 as we listen to Jesus' teaching using parables as he unlocks the secrets of the heaven, kingdom of heaven to us. So look with me at uh, Matthew 13. I hope you have your passage open. Because we'll be looking at it fairly frequently. So look with me to Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it. While all the people stood on the shore, verse 3, then he told them many things in parables. Now, in fact, if you have noticed, if Elaine was reading to you, you might have lost count. There were seven parables in Matthew 13 and more as we listen to the rest of Jesus' teachings in Matthew. So before we try to understand the parables, we need to first ask, what are parables? And why does Jesus speak in parables? Now we read in verse 3 just now that Jesus told the crowd many things in parables. In fact, verse 34 later on, we are told that Jesus spoke all these things To the crowd in parables, he did not say anything to them without using a parable. What is a parable? Why is Jesus teaching everything in parables? Well, this is parable. The parable is actually not a simple story trying to explain a complex concept. Okay, Some people think that a parable is a simple story to tell a complex concept. It's not. In fact, it's the very opposite. A parable is often a story-like kind of riddle or puzzle that seems simple, but you can't get it unless you have the key. You need the key to unravel the meanings of a parable. So why does Jesus use parables to teach instead of just stating the point clearly? In fact, that's what the disciples say. Verse 10, look at it. The disciples were confused. They came to Him and asked, Why do you speak to people in parables? Of which Jesus gave a very unexpected answer. Look at verse 11. Jesus replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Why is Jesus using parables? To both reveal as well as to conceal the secrets of the kingdom. Using parable, the secrets of the kingdom is revealed to the disciples, but concealed from the crowds. To the disciples, who verse 10 says, come to Him, trying to understand what about parables, Jesus reveals the secret of the kingdom. In fact, Jesus will add to what they have received. They will get more and more understanding of the kingdom, of God, but to the outside crowds who do not come to Jesus to understand, even the little bit they have, the words that Jesus said, will kind of trickle and drop off from them. And so Jesus, by speaking parables, he, He's actually doing two things. The first is, by parables, Jesus is revealing and concealing the secrets of the kingdom, depending on whether the person comes to Jesus or not. that's the first thing second thing about parable is that those who have when they come they will be given even more those that do not have when they don't come that little bit that they have will disappear but why would Jesus do this? if you read on actually Jesus is using parables because he's fulfilling two prophecies of the Old Testament one is from Isaiah and the other is from Psalms so let me give you the first scripture that Jesus kind of uses uh, to fulfill. Um, not too, hundred, A couple hundred years ago, actually, God called a servant by the name Isaiah. He said to Isaiah, Isaiah, you have to go out and speak warnings to my people. But as you give them warnings, the result is they will not turn back to you, to me. As you give them warning, their hearts will become harder and harder. That's exactly what you are to do. That's why Jesus said in verse fourteen, fifteen, "You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving, for this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly they hardly hear with their ears, and they close their eyes." As Jesus speaks to the crowd. Those who seek the kingdom of heaven will come to Jesus like his disciples. The parables draw them to Jesus. They want to know, what is this riddle about the kingdom of heaven? What is the kingdom of heaven about? I want to know it. And as they come to Jesus, Jesus became the key. But to the others, as they listen more and more, they become harder and harder in their heart. The more Jesus teaches, the more they kind of turn away and so away from the kingdom of heaven. So it's it's like a crowd, you know, if a crowd looking at an artist who's doing kind of stitching, the rest of the crowd are looking from the bottom and they see this whole mess of kind of lines and knots and say, this is terrible, what lousy thing said, it goes off. But the crowds, they were really interested, they kind of gather around the the artist and say, can I look at what you are doing? And from her perspective, she, they will see the most beautiful stitch work that they have ever Experience. This is the same thing, but one looks from behind and moves on. The other comes to him and to her and amazed. So that's the first, the first um, prophecy from Isaiah. The second one that Jesus pulls out is from Psalms, actually from Psalm 78. From um, the psalmist ASAP. You now Jesus says in today's Matthew 13 in 34, 35, Jesus said this: I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter things hidden since creation of the world. This is, Jesus is actually quoting from Psalm 78. In fact, let me just give you the picture of what 78, Psalm 78 is actually writing. Uh Asap was writing. Let me read to you Psalm 78, a few verses. Asap said this, My people hear my teaching, listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. The praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. And verse 6, so the next generation would know him. Even children yet to be born and they in turn would tell their children. Verse 7, then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds and would keep his commands. That was why Asaph was giving parables. He used parables to declare the things of God in the past so that God's people who are listening to Asaph back then, they will start to know God more They'll start to put their trust in God more. They'll start to remember the amazing things of God. And in response, they want to keep God's commands. But Jesus, as he's quoting Asaph, he's actually bringing something even greater. He's using parables to re- review the hidden things. Asaph reveals the hidden things of history. But look what Jesus says. I will reveal the hidden things from creation of the world that what God has planted since creation, He says, I will let you know. And you will put your trust in God and you will be amazed because of the secret of the kingdom of heaven that's been hidden is now going to be unlocked for you. And you'll be so amazed that you'll give yourself fully to the Lord. So Jesus is the key to unlock the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And we will never understand or receive the secrets of The kingdom of heaven without coming to Jesus. That's why he uses parables. So that people will come to the key. And they will hear and know the secrets that God has set since creation. So with that understanding of parable, we come to the first parable. In fact, this first parable will be the parable of all the other parables. Because this will be the parable that reveals the heart of the listeners. And then the rest of the parables, the other six will either be a revelation of encouragement or you'll be a revelation of judgment. Okay, get it? So we'll come to the first parable because that will all shapes how we view all the other parables. So look with me to the key parable to all the other parables from verse 3. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. The birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where they did not have much soil. It springs up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no roots. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, thirty times what was sown. Whoever has years, let them hear. You know, after these parables, the the disciples kind of confused. They came and looked for Jesus, and Jesus said this to them in verse 18. Now listen to what the parable of the sower means. When someone hears the message about the kingdom of about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So this this parable, the seed that the sower scattered is actually the message of the Kingdom of heaven is the good news that God's Son has come to rescue, to establish His kingdom, and He will reveal His kingdom to His people. Jesus said the righteous have longed to witness this moment. In fact, the Apostle Paul later on says, You know what? Prophets and angels have longed for this day, and they are waiting for it to unravel. So even in the past, as prophets write about Jesus or write about the kingdom, they kind of know partially and they kind of write partially, But when Jesus comes, he will fulfill the prophecies and then he will reveal even more. So the seed of the sower scatters, the the sower scatters is the message of the kingdom and the seed will rest on four different grounds. But you know what? Unhappily, the first ground that it lands on is actually a hard ground. It's kind of a a, a place not for seeds to grow. Because the hearts of the first hearers, they're kind of like, path, they cannot hear the message because their heart is so hard inwardly that the seed kind of just rolls on it. They do not understand the message or perhaps more than that is they do not want to know the message. Last week we actually noticed some of them appearing, the Pharisees who who are not interested in the message and we will see some more at the end of today's passage. In fact, they will not only refuse the message, they will eventually take offence at the message, and they will take offence at the one who brings the message. These people whose heart are like the, the, the path, they are going to be willing parties for the evil one to come and grab the priceless seed that was sown in their heart. So that is the first ground, which is the path. Then there's the second ground, which is the rocky ground, which is kind of only surface deep. So this is what Jesus says. Look at verse 20, 21. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So this is the second kind of ground. The hearts of this second hearers, they are kind of rocky ground. They can look deceivingly promising for a short spark of a moment. Uh, When they first hear the good news, they are very excited. Perhaps they get very involved even in churches. Uh, They may even become um, enthusiastic and they talk about what they uh, see and what they hear. But the enthusiasm actually doesn't last very long. At some point, when they start to face persecution or trouble or confronted with their sin, they start to quickly fall away. I don't know about you, perhaps you have known friends from school or friends that you know who were once so excited about the gospel. And then all of a sudden, you don't hear from them, they don't attend church, and they disappear. And you wonder, what happened? Didn't they kind of go to altar call when they asked who want to believe and they went up? Didn't they say the the Lord's Prayer? What, What happened to them? You know what, the The true test of a follower of Jesus is not how loud they sing, how much they cry, and how emotional they get. A true test of a follower of Jesus is someone who will carry their cross and keep following Jesus on this side of life. This is the one Jesus said in chapter 10 earlier on that it is those who stand firm till the end who will be saved. Those on rocky grounds are like those who kind of sign up for a marathon, thinking there's a kind of 100 meter stroll by the park. And they kind of start off, everyone runs, they run. You'll never see them at the end of the finishing line. Those on rocky grounds. The third ground is the tawny ground, which is unfruitful. Look at verse 22. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. So the hearts and response of this third ground is kind of, they're kind of less dramatic. Okay, they don't just disappear nowhere. It's not one drastic moment that kind of trip them over and they are no longer um declaring themselves as Christians. But they have inwardly an additional master that's at work which is the taunts. And the taunts work in two ways. The first is the taunts will kind of write on the difficulties of life that we have. I don't know, what are the difficulties in your life? What are the difficulties in your life? For us, it could be some necessities, daily necessities, daily ones. It could be work, it could be studies. It could be our future, dreams, career, it could be money, it could be insurance, investment, retirement, it could be family, it could be relationships, it could be all kinds of things, right, that goes through your mind when you are not actively thinking about something. The taunts, they'll bring out all the difficulties of life and they'll start to choke it. They'll start to choke the word of God. But I remember this very frightening uh, incident in my, in my twenties. At the time I was with some kind of enthusiastic Christians, right, and Then when you're kind of young and enthusiastic, you look at the older Christians, ah, lukewarm Christians. And you say, ah, why are they so lukewarm? Surely they must be lukewarm all their life. But then one day, there was this so-called lukewarm uncle in his 50s. He came to me and we were just chatting. He said, he recalls, you know, Andrew, when I was your age, I was even more energetic than you. And uh, I was even more passionate youth leader he was a youth leader, more passionate youth leader than you. And I've done many, many things. I've gone to street evangelism. But you know what, Andrew, when you come to my age, you have other things to worry about. I've kind of done my share of it. I had cold sweat that very day. Because there I think that, ah, you know, he's kind of lukewarm, he's kind of just busy with own thing. He says, you know, I was much more enthusiastic than you when I was your age. And I, I was afraid. I said, what will I look like when I was, when I am 50? Not when I'm 20. Now the taunts, Jesus says, will cause worries of this life to choke the word of God. That is the way that the thorns were used. But you know what? The taunts have a different option for you as well. Which is the deception of wealth. Uh, our camp speaker last year, uh, if you were at camp, he says that he works in a very hard suburb in Perth. Um, and I know that suburb really well. It's a very hard suburb not because that there are a lot of poor people, drug addicts anything. It's a very hard suburb because it's a really, really rich suburb. I drive by that place often. There's a beach there. The houses are big and whatever time I go morning, afternoon, evening or weird time, there are always people there with walking dogs you know, and kind of windsurfing. It's like, doesn't anyone work in this suburb? Like, everybody seems to be enjoying themselves. But you know what? It is so difficult because life is too good to be bothered about the kingdom of heaven. In fact, Jesus sounds like a poor man's food. That's what the other suburbs, not, not us, the deception of wealth. So, whether it's the worries of life or deception of wealth, the seed is being choked. A theologian used to put put this in, in, in a phrase, and he says this, Such kind of person cares too little about his soul because he cares too much about the world. Let me say it again. Such person cares too little about his soul because he cares too much about the world. The tawny ground is unfruitful. So there you have it. Three unpleasant grounds that the sower face. But the last one, however, is a pleasant one. A beautiful one. Look at verse 23. A good soil, he says. Verse 23. But seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a 160 or 30 times what was sown. These are the hearts of those who receive and will produce abundant crops. You know, in agriculture at the time, like most most times you don't yield more than ten times. So a hundred or sixty or thirty, they're all talking about unnatural or kind of unusual fruitfulness. These are the people who understand the message and they receive it deeply and fruits are, are being produced all areas of their life, whether it's in actions, their decision, their financial decision plans, and not the least their lips. Because out of the lips comes what is in the heart. That's what we saw last week. So here we have the four grounds respond differently to the same seed, which is the message of the kingdom. The path is no place for the seed. The rocky ground is only surface deep. The tawny ground is unfruitful, but the good ground is just beautiful. I, I love my poetry, right? So, But I'm not going to say it again. I, I thought that sums up the four um, grounds. But we cannot miss the point of what Jesus is trying to say. After he has explained this, what this parable demands of us is to ask, what kind of ground are you? What kind of ground am I? How do our hearts receive the message of the kingdom and the good news of Jesus? Do we despise the message? Have you heard of people who despise it? Do we express kind of temporal excitement as long as there's no difficulties? Do we let the gospel become kind of a footnote in our lives because the main text is our worries and the de- deception of wealth, of wealth-seeking. Or do we receive it so deeply that the devil or the evil one can't grab the seed out of you because it's embedded in your soil? The beauty is that those with good soil, they will yield more and more and more as they grow and not less and less like the tawny grounds. So, what kind of hearts do we have towards God's word whenever we hear it? Now, we've intentionally taken a, quite a fair bit of time to look at the two reasons, two, two reasons for parables and the parable that unpacks the rest of the parables. Now, we'll look at the rest of the six parables because this is where Jesus will unpack. The secrets of the kingdom of heaven, and depending on what kind of ground you have, you will respond differently. Okay, so grab hold of your first parable as we look at the remaining six. These six are kind of grouped in pairs, so there are three sets of secrets there, and I will look at each of them um, in in a set. So the first secret is what I'll call the parable of the of future judgment, the parable of future judgment. This is um, found in the two parables. The One is called well, the parable of the wheat and the weeds from verses 24 to 30 and then 36 to 42 where Jesus explained it. The second parable is the, the good and the bad fish that's caught in the net which is at the end from 47 to, 40 to 52. But I just put them all together and call it the parable of future judgment because God's perfect judgment will be in the future. And currently, the kingdom we are living in is kind of a now and a not yet kingdom. Okay? Let me say that again. That the parable of future judgment is saying that God's perfect judgment will be in the future, and the kingdom we are living now in is a now and not yet. So if, as we look at the, the parable of the wheat and the weeds, Jesus says this, right? He sowed seeds into the world. Satan also sowed seeds into the world. And then, what we have, we have, um, Crops, or we have crops growing from who are kingdom people, and we have people in this world who are people of the evil one, and they, they kind of live together. You have good and evil kind of living side by side in our world. If you look around us, we'll see people who will give up everything to follow Jesus. We'll see people who will do anything to blaspheme Jesus. We'll see people who will um, who will give up uh, worldly opportunities for the kingdom, and we'll see people who will give up the kingdom. For worldly opportunities. Uh, this is how the world is being played out in many ways. And we should not be surprised as we look around our world. We should not be surprised that the world will be willing to embrace evil for good. We should not be surprised in our world to see Christians who can only, who is only doing good, who's going to be killed. See, that doesn't make sense. That makes perfect sense in a now and not yet kingdom. There'll be people who demand God. If you exist, then evil should not, and God says nothing, because God has already said it will happen. Just not yet. So in the both parables, the wheat and weeds, and good and bad fish, Jesus ends up with the same words. I'll just want to read this to you: verse 40, forty-two and verse fifty of both parables. Jesus ends on this judgment. Throw them, about the weeds and the bad fish, he says, Throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be whipping and gnashing of teeth. Because judgment will surely come. Just not our timing. Neither was it John the Baptist's timing. So, as you listen to these parables, what do you hear? Do you hear kind of warnings? Do you hear encouragement? Because if you are kind of a follower of Jesus... This revelation of the future judgment is encouragement because it tells us that salvation is still available. It tells us that evil will one day be removed. It tells us that we are suffering. If we are Christian, the suffering will be removed as well. And one day we will be in the perfect kingdom. There is something that is absolutely amazing waiting for us. But on the other side, if you are not someone who is following Jesus, what you are hearing is that on the final day, God is going to be so harsh. On me. He's a terrible God. So it depends on what kind of heart you have. You'll be hearing different things. And those who are not with Jesus, they will reject what Jesus says. But the truth is, there will be no escape on the final day. Because on that day, grace will be replaced with judgment. So that's the first um secret. The second one is what I'll call the parable of the unstoppable kingdom, which are two parables kind of placed together. The parable of the mustard seed in verses 31, 32, and the parable of the east. This is what is happening. Jesus describes that kind of the kingdom of heaven is is, a, is a small. It's really small like a mustard seed. It looks really small, but yet as it grows it becomes the largest garden plant. Or again, heaven, kingdom of heaven is like the east. We kind of you put it in a 30 kilogram of fly. It looks like nothing, but it works itself through the whole dough. So the kingdom of heaven, though it looks kind of insignificant, kind of started by kind of carpenter's son with 11 kind of weird people, but they have sustained as empires rise and empires fall, as dictators come and dictators go on. This, this seed, and this yeast continue to kind of manifest and spreads and grows and gets bigger and bigger. Because the gospel of Jesus will keep growing. It will be unstoppable. This is the secret of the kingdom of heaven. It's unstoppable. But when we listen to this, how will we kind of respond to this parable? Do we hear weakness? Do we hear strength? Do we hear warning? Do we hear encouragement? You know, over the past years, there was so much news in the Middle East about Christians and persecution that you kind of stopped reading at times. In 2014, the article was saying that after 2,000 years, Mosul, which is the very beginning of where Christianity has been, will finally be emptied of its last Christian. That was how bad persecution was. And the following year, the New York Times headlines, is this the end of Christianity in the Middle East? Because the power of the ISIS was strong. But in the midst of all this, suddenly there was another article that popped in that says, thousands of Muslim refugees suddenly flocking to Jesus. How do you kind of make sense of what is happening and what is happening? How do we respond to all this news around? Do we get encouraged when we hear um, persecution? Do we get discouraged? Uh, The earlier parable of the future judgment tells us You know what, Christians, don't be overly optimistic. The world will never be perfect under the best king that you can, or best president you have. Don't be overly optimistic. The world will not be perfect. But as you come to this unstoppable parable, the unstoppable kingdom parables, it tells us, you know what, Christians, if you're a Christian, don't be overly pessimistic. No matter what happens, God's kingdom continues to grow and grow. You know, the fly is not going to swallow the east. The east is going to work its way through the whole flock. How are we seeing the kingdom? It depends on what kind of ground or heart we have as we receive the message of the kingdom. Finally, the third pair of the parables points to the secret that the parables um, reveals a priceless kingdom. These are the last two parables. In in Matthew 13, there are the parables of hidden treasure, verse 44, and parables of the great pearl in 45 to 46 that, uh, in fact, we have read earlier on. So let me just read, or in fact, look at it with me from verse 44 to 46. As we see the priceless kingdom being uncovered. Let me read 44 for us. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a few When a man found it, he hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that few. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. In these two kind of parables, Jesus described the kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure or a great pearl. So precious and valuable it is that the man who discovers the kingdom of heaven he revalues all that he possessed. The moment he discovers the value of the kingdom of heaven, he looks at what he has and he revalues what he has. Because there is a sudden realization that there is a qualitative difference between the value of the kingdom of heaven and the value of what he has. And such a person, he will be an absolute fool. If having discovered this priceless treasure, you kind of just turns away and say, ah, oh, um, I'm contented with this. So, dear friends, how do we respond to the value of the kingdom of heaven? How valuable is the kingdom of heaven to you and to me? Again, it depends on what kind of soil we are, isn't it? For one with good soil, you'll be too foolish to cash in his or her life for anything else besides the kingdom of heaven, for one with good soil, it'll be foolishness for him or her to cash out his life for anything else but the kingdom of heaven. Now the question has to come uh, as we read this: Is what does it mean? Does it mean that we really give up everything, we sell everything, and going to sit there and wait for the kingdom of heaven to kind of appear? Um, surely not, isn't it? And I don't think so. But I do think it means. Living our life so that everything we say, we do, all the decisions we make are now kind of deployed for the kingdom of heaven. It's being deployed for the kingdom of heaven. We learn to start making investments for the kingdom. Now, you know, when it comes to studies, job opportunities, savings, retirements, our youthful years, our retirement age, school holidays, annual leave, year-end bonus, conversation, everything that you can think of. Are they being choked up by the worries of the world, of, of life and deception of wealth? Or do we see opportunities in everywhere that it can be invested into the kingdom of heaven? I'll give a, just one or two examples. Say, kind of salary or pocket money or year-end bonus, right? Do they always kind of go into kind of our rainy day pocket? Or do they always kind of end up to our holiday pocket? Or do we actually look at them and say, hey you. What investment for the kingdom can we, can we have? Perhaps that missionary that you have heard for the longest time has been serving for the 10th year in ministry and probably she or he needs support. Or perhaps the, the article you're reading that this Christian organization um, sends out Bibles to the poor or trains up village pastors that will go forth and you know I will never go to those places. But that would have been a great investment. No, it's not legalistic, but it's where the compass of our heart is pointing towards. That there is where our opportunities or worries or deception comes. The same can go for kind of holiday or annual leave or perhaps relationships. Is our potential husband or wife meant to be only the solution to our loneliness or security? Or would he or she be actually a gospel partner whom you know is willing to serve and grow with you in view of that priceless kingdom. You can go both ways, isn't it? We can go on for a long list of examples, but the point of Jesus' parables on the priceless kingdom is this do we see the value of the kingdom of heaven? Do we see the only investment that's worth making in this life is for something that is of eternal value? You know, I've I spent my previous life designing financial planning systems. I don't know, maybe some of you do know. I spent my previous life designing financial systems to create to help people design portfolios to invest. But you know what? The reality is this the investment portfolios of the world always It's about making more money for you and for your loved ones. But Jesus says, invest everything for the life to come. In fact, Jesus emphasized that in his joy, this man ran out to sell everything because he saw the value of the kingdom of heaven. So here's the secret uh, of investment that I would like to share with you. The world's way of investment feeds on the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth. The world's way of investment feeds on the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth. But the kingdom's way of investment is discovering how much that worth. The more we recognize the value of the kingdom of heaven, the more we want to invest more and more of our life to it, Perhaps in the context of these two parables, the question we need to ask is not how much must I give up? But rather, how much are we seeing the value of the kingdom? Okay, let me say that again. In the context of this, perhaps as we look at life, it's not how much must I give up for God? But how much are we seeing the value of what Jesus has revealed to us? Now, there are more parables to come in the weeks to follow, but that's enough for us to chew on this afternoon. Jesus reveals the kingdom that's here, but not fully because judgment is later. Jesus reveals the kingdom is growing, it's unstoppable, even though it can look like it's in a kind of difficult situation. And Jesus reveals that the kingdom of heaven is priceless. With that, Jesus finishes his parables and he turns to his disciples and perhaps to us. And he said, verse 51, Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. Then Jesus revealed one last secret of Matthew 13. He said in 52, He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is declaring there that it will no longer be the Pharisees who will be pointing people to the kingdom of heaven using just the Old Testament. It will be the disciples of Jesus from now on who will be pointing the world, the people to the kingdom of heaven by showing how Jesus has accomplished and fulfilled all that Old Testament has said. And even more, Jesus, from him, he will reveal the the new covenant that He has given, the new kingdom of heaven that He is ushering in and you will come complete. So in this, Jesus has revealed another secret that is no longer going to be the Pharisees' way. But you who have understood, you who have known me, you have understood my way, you who have known the King of heaven, you will reveal what the world needs with the old and with the new. So with that, Jesus concluded his teaching and he moved to his hometown where the parable of the ground is displayed. I'm not reading that for us. But Jesus went there, he sowed the seed of the kingdom. The people amazed for a while, but their amazement soon turned to offense. When they realized, well, Jesus is just the son of a carpenter. And once again, the parable of the good soil and the other soil is being revealed. And that is still true today. So as we close, the question I want to ask, or we should ask ourselves is, what kind of ground, what kind of soil are we? Because the Lord reveals Himself. And the good soil will receive it. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, Visit us online at busypc.sg.